You're listening to Podcasting Made Simple, where we deliver weekly masterclass episodes that help podcast hosts and podcast guests elevate their podcasting game. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Today's episode features a conversation about the podcasting industry. Throughout this discussion, you'll learn what's changed and what to expect in the near future of podcasting, both for guests and for hosts. For the video version of this episode and for more podcast industry updates, please visit podpros.com slash 186. And now please enjoy today's episode. Todd, let's go way back in time to when you started your first podcast. That was 2004, am I correct? That's correct. That uh, seems like forever. You know, and I think about it, it podcasting years are kind of like dog years. So that is 18 years ago times seven. So you're over 120 years old in, in podcasting years. So you've done really well, um, which is funny. If I go to any of the podcasting apps, I feel like I can type your name, just scroll forever with how many shows you've done or that you've been on, which is a really cool thing at this point. Yeah, it's kind of been a fun ride, to be honest with you. And who knows, uh, you know, who knew when I was sitting in uh, Hampton Inn in Waco, Texas and recording my first podcast that uh, I'd still be at it all this time later. Right. It's pretty amazing. And I'm excited to dive into this with you. And that just shows a little bit how like, like you've seen podcasting in all of its seasons and just been around for all of it. As a matter of fact, one, one side note here, you started in 2004. So that's when podcasting started the same year. Do you have any idea where you fell in line as far as like the number show that you started? Like, was it the, do you have any clue? I think it's under 40, but under in 40 the 30, in the 30s somewhere. But That's yeah. unbelievable, man. Yeah, My show, crazy. I was in the first uh, 750,000, so I'm right there behind <laughs> you by a little bit. <laughs> well, the good thing is, is there's only 400,000 shows that publish the latest episode in 60 days. So, you know, right. you, you're really numbers much lower. You know, I've been sharing that stat quite a bit recently, but the first place I heard it was from you. We were both in Los Angeles and you just kind of said it on passing. You're like, well, there's only really this many podcasts. And I was like, what? You know, I'm like, we're always, we always hear the 2.5 million, right? Is, is the big mm-hmm. sexy number one throws out there. Why, why do you think that, and I, you're the one who told me that podcasting has been a little bit stagnant for a while as far as active shows are concerned. Why do you think that is right now? Is that something we should be concerned about? Like, I just love to hear your perspective on this. It's, it's creating content's hard. It's been hard from the beginning. That's why there's such a high failure rate for shows. It's just, uh, you know, everyone thinks they can be a podcaster, but when they pull up a mic and they get three, four, five episodes in, and they're thinking, "Man, this is this is tough, and it's it's work." So I think what really happens is it uh, it weeds people out pretty quickly. Um, and at the same point, uh, some people can only talk so long on a topic, and that's uh, that's another challenge in creating a show. You, you know, you got to have something that's going to keep the show fresh going on. And you know, luckily, my tech show that I started with, there's something fresh every day to talk about. So I've got this reoccurring, you know you know, whole plethora of content to talk about. And I don't ever have to worry about that, that uh, well drawing up. So real quick, this is a side note, I'm gonna get back to it, but Geek News Central, is that the podcast you started in 2004 that's still going today? It is. And you know, it's, it's kind My of goodness. It, it's, it's amazing. Really, there was this whole process to get there. And without going too in detail, in the early days, I was a, I run a bulletin board, uh, it was on this thing called FidelNet. It was a thing where we could all communicate, and it took two or three days for messages to come back, and and that kind of got outdated when the internet came online. And so I decided I was going to be a blogger in 2002. So I put up this website, Geek News Central, and it was a blog, and I was a horrible blogger. And maybe <laughs> maybe I had 200 people a week read the website if I was lucky. 
And then, really, it was a matter of uh, timing and being in the right place at the right time and hearing about this medium called podcasting. Said, "Man, I can talk." So, really, the podcast launched really just on almost on a whim. It's like heard about it one day, launched the next day, and knew absolutely nothing. And believe me, back in those days, it was tough and not cheap either. It was expensive to run a show because there was no. There was no Blueberry, there was no Libsyn, there was no Podbean, there was none of those companies even in existence yet. So we had kind of figured out. Which is amazing that you did. And it's really cool that going back to like the, the question I had, you picked a topic that's, I'll say an evergreen topic because it's never going anywhere, right? The, what you share is not always going to be uh, like important to each generation, right? But what you, it'll always be evolving and changing, which is great. Right. But going back to shows that you say stop, like, let's just imagine I have like a more general show, like a leadership show. What you're saying is people get into so many episodes and they're finally like, I don't even know what else to share anymore, right? Is that kind of what happens when people start to, to phase out of podcasting? Well, I think there's enough people to talk about leadership. You could talk about that until the end of time because it's always an evolving topic. But again, if you're doing a solo show and you've picked a content, well, let me back up. A lot of people right now are shopping shows. So they're thinking, oh, this category is hot. So let me do that. I think that's a very bad approach. I think you have to do content upon which you are already passionate about. And you may not be authority, but in that topic, but you're, you've got a passion. If you have a passion for the topic, whether it be recovery, whether it be self-help, whether it be, again, true crime, whether it be fiction, whether, whatever the topic may be, that whatever the topic du jour as long as you're excited about it, I think you can go a long time. Now, again, sometimes people don't have the time or the resources to find guests, go out and find new research, maybe read a new book, bring an author on. So a lot of those things kind of play into the longevity of a show is, in other words, how much dedication do you have to it? And at the same time, people get discouraged very early if their numbers don't grow but I've got a great analogy for that as well. I always tell content creators that are discouraged when they have 100 or 200 listeners. They're like, I'm only reaching 100 or 200 people. I said, well, how many people does your boss reach or his boss? And imagine sitting in front of an audience of 200 people. It, it gives you a whole different perspective when you're putting content out, when you, even though you may have a small audience to start with, those folks will tell other people and grow your show. But you just got to, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a race. In, in this space. Unless, you know, if you're a celebrity, you're going to explode out of the gate, of course, but even a lot of celebrity shows fail. Yeah, that's, uh, I've seen that happen a number of times. And, you know, it's interesting that you share that, like, don't go for the hot topic at that moment. Instead, go for the area of passion, which yeah. will always drive you a lot further, a lot longer. And something Jordan Harbinger shared with us recently was to keep it a hobby as long as you can. So, like, find the area of passion, keep it a hobby, make it fun, right? The second mm-hmm. you put a business behind it, it gets a little bit more difficult to keep up with and do. Uh, I kind of want to flip the script here because we got both podcast host and guest in attendance. And I'm thinking about the guests and I've just recently started seeing this happen. Host pod fade or they just decide to stop, right? Like we see those shows kind of get sunset, like they fade out. But sure. I'm starting now that I've been working with guests for a couple of years now as well, that I see them start to disappear as well because they say, I'm tired of sharing the same stuff. Todd, you've been doing this for 17 years. I doubt I'm going to ask you anything new today. I'm not trying to sell myself short as an interviewer, but you've talked about podcasting a lot. What made you decide to stay in the game after 17 years versus somebody saying, hey, I've been doing this for a couple of years. just think I'm done. And and, do you have any thoughts on that that topic a little bit here? It's very simple, non-duplicative audience. So who listens to your show? 
is not listening to another show. Usually, usually there's very small numbers of audience members that cross. So when someone says, I'm tired of telling the same story again, well, that's a mistake because you, if, if you're telling your story to audience A and you go on an, another show, that's audience B, C, D, E, F, G. There's very little overlap. Yeah, you're telling the same story, but you're reaching a whole different set of ears. So it's amazing to me when you look at the national data or global data that the average podcast listener listens to six or seven shows. Or, or, or no, the power users, the power listeners listen to six or seven shows. So really, even with 400,000 active shows, it's very rare that those streams are going to cross. So, and as a host, the same thing too, is when, is, is doing a podcast, when I was working and promoting other podcasts that were in my genre, yeah, we did a little horse training of audience, but we were largely non-duplicative audience. And that's why the advertising works so good in podcasting is there's not this huge overlap where if you go on TV and you hear a Geico ad on ABC, you're going to see a Geico ad in CBS. Well, it, and you know, there's a lot of duplicative audience there in podcasting. That's not the case. You know, that, that's really interesting. And I think that it, it just proves the point that as a podcast guest, you almost need to pick your cadence. And what I mean by that is like, hey, I'm going to do one podcast a month and just stick with it consistently instead of going maybe on a sprint if you just can't keep up with it, right? Like if someone's like, I'm going to get on a hundred podcasts this year and then a year from now, they're like, whew, I'm burnt out. I am done. I'm never doing this again. Right. Do you think it's better just to pick, hey, I'm going to do one or two a month or just find the absolute best fits for me and I'm just going to stick with those long-term. Do you find that strategy better? Like, what have you done to stay in it for 17 years? For being a guest, I try to do two a month. I'm kind of on a sprint right now doing two to four because of some things we've launched with the company. So it depends on the season. So, if, you know, if you're an author and you got a new book coming out, what do you want to do? You want to sprint. You want to sprint to, to book launch and you want to sprint a little bit past book launch. And then maybe between books, you slow down a little bit. But I think there's... a, a a, a, as a guest, there is a tangible marketing reason to be on more shows at certain points than others. And there's a certain time of year that doesn't make a lot of sense to be on some shows as well. But I, I think really the, you have to determine what you can handle. And I, I'm not too picky. When someone asks me to be on their show, I don't ask them what their numbers are. I don't ask how many episodes they do. I, I really kind of like allowed myself to be interviewed by just about anyone because then that opens up diversity of content, diversity of creators. I'm not shooting for that top tier. I'm just trying to reach more ears. You know, I love that you said that because that was going to be my next question here. Something I hear regularly about from guests specifically, not all of them, I just, I just don't know how to answer it when I get asked, but they say, oh man, like I need bigger shows. Can you show me bigger shows? And they're looking at trying to guess the download numbers. They're looking at social media following. They're looking at Apple reviews and that's kind of it. But what do you say the person that, that is just so focused on that versus the actual quality of the match? And when I say that, I mean like it is a great audience for them to be in front of. Like that's, that to me is more important, but what is your perspective on kind of this mindset that's going around podcasting from the guesting side of things right now? If you're on the most popular, show, here's the, and I'll relate it to an advertising discussion. I had a gentleman that, a company that wanted to advertise in one of the top tier podcasts. And, it, and I felt, yeah, it's probably not a good fit. And I don't think you should advertise there. I think you should advertise on some lower tier shows. I think you'd have a better impact. Oftentimes, the smaller shows will have more engagement from an audience standpoint and from an advertising standpoint than a big show. Because a big show, you're just another person that's being run through the gauntlet on that show. 
and you're not going to potentially get as much attention. You, you get a short blast, like, and it's done. But the smaller shows will take more time to market you, talk about you, link to you, link back to you, all that stuff because they're working really hard. So I, I think it's a trade-off. Now, if you got a show that just interviews you and doesn't do nothing, just puts a show out, well, you know, you, you, you've uh, rolled a seven there. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to be a winner. But I think you just have to play the numbers and take a little bit of both. Again, I'll take a small niche focused audience any day over a big general audience just because potentially I'm reaching the exact people I need to reach versus kind of a shotgun effect. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen it to be true. I've been on a couple shows that had million plus listenership, which was cool, but I actually found that, and not to be mean toward those podcasts, but I got less out of that, like mm-hmm. outreach to me than much smaller shows. But the smaller shows were like literally... I have to assume every single person who listened to it would be the perfect person to listen to me. And those always had a bigger ROI for me. And so to me, I've always I've had that mindset, hey, it's better for me just to be on any size show if the audience truly is who I'm supposed to reach. Yeah. And I think that that mindset is just, it's a better mindset. Like it, it gets you less driven on this is the numbers game and this is a value game instead, which I know is something that you and I both really agree with. You know, and on the opposite perspective, you know, also if you get the right big show, then, boy, that could be winner, winner, chicken dinner. That could be a huge success. But, I, I, you know, I don't find that the big shows are often that focused enough to hold a huge, huge audience. Some may be, but it, those are the unicorns you want to seek out if you're going to seek one out that's a bigger show. But I think that uh, the smaller shows are just reaching, you know, they're reaching more. And getting, oftentimes the host will know a small percentage of the people that are actually listening and maybe be able to actually steer the conversation, you know, this is going to help Susie, Sally, Tom, and John versus, okay, I don't know who this is going to help my audience because I don't really know my audience. That's a really good point. You know, makes me actually want to shift gears here because this is kind of talking about the independent podcasters, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of these are the smaller podcasters and that's who pod pros, that's who we help, right? Like on both sides of the mic, the independent podcast hosts and the independent individuals out there just trying to spread good word to the world, basically. And something you actually recently said on a show that I'm a fan of, by the way, but the new media show is one that I, I learn a lot from. So speaking of that, and that's a big show, but you've worked your way there over the years. And um, you were talking about how you are an independent podcaster supporting independent podcasters. And you gave some really good advice. I think Blueberry's really led the way in, which is having your own dot com or dot whatever, right? And I want to talk about that for a minute from four podcast hosts to understand why they should kind of own their own hub. Can you speak to that point a little bit? It's really, you know, everyone, unless you're homeless, you go home someplace. And maybe if you're homeless, you go home to a tent. That's, that's your central point of where you lay down. It's where your life starts from and where you go out from. A, a website, having your own .com is kind of like that home. It's your moon base alpha. It's your, your place where you can focus your funnel, your, your, your community, your tribe. You can build, you build, uh, um, exposure to the digital world where Google comes in and indexes the website. Every podcaster that wants to grow a big show absolutely unequivocally has to have their own .com. You, you, you can sure you can have a great Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media presences, but you really, as we're talking today in this show, we want people to ultimately come back to the website, read the show notes, maybe, and then maybe engage socially that way. Or someone discovers the episode through a Google search 
search my name, search for your name, search for a topic, and they find this specific episode, engage that way. And really to build authority and build your brand, I, I really believe every every podcaster has to have their own .com. doesn't matter if it's on WordPress, on Squarespace, or any of the other services that provide, as long as that is your primary origination point for your show. Um, the, the challenge some podcasters get into is they use a host maybe that where their show resides over there and then Google kind of runs home to mama to where the hosting site is versus their .com. So there's ways around that. But I really think that um, having your own .com and having your content originate from that website is key. And largely, again, for Google search, but then again, discoverability, building your brand, building your funnel, uh, doing your monetization. My sponsorship that I have for my show with GoDaddy would not be successful without having a website with a specific landing page for GoDaddy. It would not have been as successful as it's been over the years. Just That's just one small tidbit. And, it, and enough people come to the website that a small percentage of those folks that come will follow or subscribe. But another mistake podcasters make is oftentimes you get to their website and you don't even know they're a podcaster. They made it very hard to follow or subscribe. So if you do have a website, make it easy for people to follow you. And those percentages of people that do come in that way, um, you know, you're not going to lose them from the 30 seconds there on your homepage. You know, the way I heard you actually present this, again, going back to New Media Show, was you called it basically building your castle on rented space. And I think that too many of us have done that on social yeah, media absolutely. or even the, the micro sites and nothing against them, but a lot of hosting providers these days. And again, this is where I think that you and Blueberry have really been ahead of the curve, have these micro sites. And I see more and more people say, hey, here's my anchor link, right? Or here's my link tip for this hosting provider. And it's it's not their website. It is just a glorified version of their RSS. But you're saying that that isn't enough. Like we actually need to go after, you said a .com, but a, a dot .anything would really dot work anything, as long as it's yeah. one that we own. Is that correct? That's right. And again, that analogy that I've used for years is do not build your castle on rented ground. Why would you? If you're going to build a castle, you're going to want to own the dirt. You know, you want that dirt to be there so someone doesn't come out from underneath and say, hey, we've had a change of business plans and we're, we're going to put a shopping mall here. So that's the risk of being building your brand on Facebook or on your hosting provider's website is what if they have a change of business and they change the logarithm a little bit within the websites where all of a sudden you're not ranking or I think finding a show is never, doesn't matter who you host with. You can find a show, the location of it usually, but that's not the game anymore. It's winning the episode search, being able to be found by the episode now is where the discovery is happening from Google. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can Google almost any show and find where that show is located, but people are not searching for a show. They're searching for a topic. You know, I've been really seeing that happen and that, that shift is more, is just more recent. It wasn't, but maybe two years ago and maybe I was late to the game or early. I don't even know with Google, you know how it goes, whoever gets the, the chance to see that. Sure. But, uh, I remember I typed in a term that was one of my episodes and it popped up right there in Google. Like I was that's like, right. oh, that's my episode. Like that's not my podcast. That is that specific episode. And then the, the, the searches within the, some of the apps have gotten really intelligent. So like now if I'm like looking for a topic, I don't need to be like, I need to scroll through Todd's podcast and see if he's talked about mm-hmm. it. I just go straight to the search and I'm basically like building your castle on owned land, right? Like yeah. having your own .com. That's right. right. I can just search for that directly. So yeah, it's important that we own the space on Google. Obviously, we don't own the space on these, these, these apps, but making the name something that's also going to be searchable, I think is an extremely important part of the discovery uh, process for people that are going to be listening to the show. 
And don't get me wrong, not everyone that lands on that page from that search result is going to stay and listen or read. They may say, oh, this is a podcast I'm not interested. And they go look for something else. Or they're going to say, hmm, this is a podcast. Let me check this episode out. And maybe they only hit play and listen a little bit. Or maybe they follow or So it's a numbers game. And it's, again, it's, it's a marathon. So as an example, I've got 1,600 episodes for my show or 1,602, and I've got 14,000 blog posts. So my main goal was just to get them to the website because I know a percentage of them are going to say, wow, there's a podcast here, let me follow. Because what happens over time, you've been podcasting this long, people leave. (laughs) They get sick and tired of hearing you, you know? I'm sure we've all listened to a certain radio station when we all used to listen to radio. No one listens anymore, right? Because they listen to podcasts. (laughs) you've You've listened to a morning drive person and for a little while, man, what's over on the other station? You go over there for a while. Maybe you'll come back. So it's the same way with podcasting. After a couple, two, three years, people leave. So what you got to do is if you're in this sort of long haul, you got to keep feeding the front end. You got to keep the, the, the new bodies coming in to, uh, and, and as people leave. So it's really uh, part of my thing is it, it's, a, it's not a retention strategy. It's truly, you know, a new acquisition, uh, listener acquisition strategy. That's really interesting. You know, diving into this a little bit more, and then I have some final thoughts here uh, to, to get into with you, but do you think that uh, podcast backlog, so basically not your, what was it, 1,402 episodes you said, 1,602, right? yeah. Six, sorry, 1,602, my bad. Sold you short of 200 episodes. That's more than yeah. I have. So um, it's at that big number, doesn't sound like I was that far off. Um, but like, do you think that people go back and listen to those old episodes? So I say that because like, what if I was a guest, right, previously, is that number going to climb a year later, two years later, or is it just kind of like the, the latest and greatest because these new people coming in are only going to start from where they see the latest episode? 90% of podcasts consume 90, 90% of podcasts globally deliver 90% of their lifetime downloads within the first 96 hours. Now, that said, that 10% that has true long tail has done the work, has done, written a good episode title, written good show notes, has um, content that doesn't expire. In other words, it's going to be good four years from now, um, and it doesn't contain a lot of information about what's going on in the world today, will succeed in developing a long-tail listenership where people go back and maybe listen to the whole catalog. The key is you got to remember, if you're trying to build that type of catalog, you got to record it so that two years from now, people aren't going to Two years from now, potentially, people aren't going to care about the Ukraine war anymore. You don't want to have current events in that type of a show. My show is a new show. 96 hours, it's done. But the majority, again, the majority of podcasts are, are, are literally consumed within the first 96 hours, and people don't go back. Tier 1 listeners will go back and listen. I've had a few of my fans that have listened to my tech shows from episode 1 all the way through 1602, and I say, Why? Well, they wanted to hear the history and the progression of the show. And that's, that's like four or five months of continuous listening. Th- those are hardcore listeners. So that's not the case for most shows. Very interesting. All right, I want to shift here a little bit because, again, we got guests and hosts sure. listening. I just want to ask where you kind of think podcasting is going as it relates to being a host and being a guest. So I'd just love to hear from you, like, where do you see this whole thing going? Like, where, where is the, the end game for podcasting, if you will? Like, what does what our next generation of it look like? Just to see your insights. Again, you being part of it for so long, and being on the hosting side, being on the coaching side, like doing all of it, right? Speaking, yeah. I feel like you got to have some insights that all of us can learn from today. Five years ago, there was no marketplace for editors, production teams, none of that. 
Now today, there's this huge marketplace of editors, people doing production, everything to help a podcaster with their content. So the, the the quality of content has been upped in gamemanship completely. I was focused in the early days of having a real high quality sounding show because I didn't like to edit, but and I still don't edit. But I do right. lots of planning to make sure that the show sounds good, and there's not a ums hums and all those things that get normally get edited out. So I think what you're going to see as time progresses here, more of that. I think people are taking the audio to the next level, making it more engaging, really trying to, I don't say get that NPR sound because I don't particularly like NPR sound, but get a consistent, high-quality sound, high-quality content, engaging. People are becoming more smart storytellers. And that leads back to why so many shows fail. Nothing wrong with having a show where you just hang out and talk with your your girlfriend or your buddy or whatever it may be and have a general show. There's room for everybody. There's room for shows that are just doing this for fun. There's shows that are doing this to make a little money and there's some that are really doing it professional. I think there's room for everyone and the best thing is there's no rules. So I think that will continue. I think that the podcast hosting space has become pretty, it's it's just a product. So now hosts are really trying to focus on what can we do to, to set ourselves apart from other companies in helping podcasters grow because that's the number one thing. So podcasters are wanting to grow their shows. So I think you're going to see a lot of focus in the future with companies like mine and others that are coming up with strategies to help gain those big audiences, get to 10, 15, 40, 50, 100,000, half a million listeners. I think you'll see more of that. But again, there's room for everybody. I love that, man. That's so cool to hear. You know, I want to drive into something. There's a story that you told me once. I don't know if you share it a lot, but um, you talked to me about you never know who's listening. That's and I think right. that's a really good way to end for the listeners because everyone listens to podcasts these days. I, I say everyone, but it's getting close to the majority of the world, or at least in the United States, they're starting to listen to them. I'd love to hear your real life story real quick here before we end about how like you never know who listen, who's listening and mm-hmm. your story about like what happened with you. So I was a PC guy through and through. And I bought uh, the very first Mac Mini from Apple. And I had a horrible experience with this, with this computer. The Mac Mini today is a wonderful machine. It's a beautiful computer for someone looking for one. But the first gen of it, it just sucked. And I was, I was ranting on my podcast, on my tech podcast, about this Mac Mini and how it was a piece of crap and slow and junk. And if I could just talk to Steve Jobs for 15 minutes and tell him what I think, we could make this a better product. It went on about a week or two, and I get this phone call. And it's a lady on the phone. She said, uh, Mr. Cochran? I said, yes. She says, I have Steve Jobs on the line for you. He'd like to talk to you. And click. And Steve Jobs came on the phone, and he said, you're on the clock. Tell me what you think. I was, and you know, kind of, you know, you're like, <laughs> right. you're talking to this icon, right? And so we had a conversation about the Mac Mini uh, for about 15 minutes. And I think he'd already heard the rant or maybe his people told him about the rant, but um, it was good feedback. He pushed back on a couple of things on me and I pushed back on him a couple of things. But in the end, when it got done, two or three days later, I got a call from the Apple store. They said, hey, we have something here for you. And I went to the Apple store in Honolulu and at the IA shopping center, not, not IA, it's at the, doesn't matter. I was at the main Apple store. And um, I walk in there and it's like, they found out who I was and it's like the sea parted and and it led to the back and they brought out a MacBook Pro. Steve Jobs gifted me a MacBook Pro. He didn't sign it, but I still have it in the closet over here. So you never know who's listening. 
Man, I love that. I think that's such a good encouragement for both sides of the mic because people might be looking at their downloads saying, oh, I'm not really getting enough. Or, a list, or someone who goes on as a guest might be like, oh, the audience might not be big enough, but you literally never know who's listening or who know. knows somebody who's listening, right? right I think that's right. the power of podcasting. And hopefully, I mean, that's a very extreme example, but I think it's important we all remember we're here to add value to people's lives and you never know who's listening who really needs what you have to share. So I love hearing that story, Todd. And I think that's a great way to end this episode. Right before we close up, do you have any final thoughts for the attendees and listeners? I think that, you know, the podcasting space is healthy. It's going to continue to grow. Uh, you know, we're potentially facing some things here in the economy that may be a little challenging, but I think podcasting is an opportunity for people to express what they want to say how they want to say it without constraints. And the best thing to remember is no matter what anybody tells you and how to do a podcast, there's no rules. You do it your way, put out the content the way you want, have a good time, enjoy it. And again, you never know who's listening. I love that. Todd, thank you for your contribution to podcasting. Also, thank you for being in the U.S. Navy. I appreciate your service. And thanks so much for spending time with us today, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcasting Made Simple. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please share a screenshot or picture of yourself listening to it on social media. Be sure to tag us so we can follow you and also reshare it. Additionally, if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this as well, please send it their way. For show notes and resources from this episode, please visit podpros.com slash 186. Thank you again for listening and I'm looking forward to bringing you another masterclass episode next week.